0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: This is November 18th. Uh, I am your host, John Robb. I want to thank you all for listening, however, wherever, whenever you listen to the show. It's great to have you all with us. we got a very exciting one for you here two hours of suspense radio. This will be our last show of the year before we come back. Uh, since next week is Thanksgiving, we're going to take it off. Uh, we'll be out of town the week, the week after that, and then it's December, and we always kind of take December as a uh, reboot, shall we say, for the next year. Uh, The magazine is out and it came out on October 31st. If you don't have a copy, email editor at suspensemagazine.com and we will shoot one over to you. The latest issue will be our next issue will be out around December 15th. It's our best of 2017. You'll see all the books that we say are the best of the year, along with our Crimson Scribe Award winner uh, that will take over who last year was Greg Horwitz for Orphan X. He will be passing the torch to. The new author, everyone has been so delightful, and they've all been um, sent their notices, and they're all ready and sent some back, and it's great. Um, really excited to see uh, the list, see what you guys think. Also, Tuesday is a very special day for us. Also, on Beyond the Cover, Jeff and I will be interviewing none other uh, for 45 minutes. We will have him for uh, none other than Mega International. Number one best that you can put whatever mantra you want in front of them, but we will be speaking with Dean Koontz live here on the air for 45 minutes. That's going to be exciting. And that will be our last Beyond the Cover for the show, so what a great way to end that. Jeff and I are very excited. But today, we are going to be speaking with author Steve Havel, Matt Coyle, Daryl Wood Gerber, and Dr. Matt Scharrer. And we're going to kick it off right now with um, Steve Havel. His book is out it is called Easy Airs. It is the twenty-second book in his Posadas County mystery series, and we are very delighted to be able to have him on the show here. So, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing?
2: Well, good morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you.
1: Pleasure to be here. So, thank you so much. I am. When we got the uh, message from the publicist over at Poison Pen, and we started looking up, we were like, "Wow." um twenty two books into this series and this is one that, you know, kind of flies flew under our radar for, for a little bit and then we started getting into it and realizing what a fabulous um series that you have going on here in, in Posadas County. A lot happening in the last twenty one books, but your latest book, Easy Air, is now book twenty two. Uh why don't you tell us a little bit about this about about this book and then we'll kind of get into the series, because you got a lot of information that you've written about.
2: Well, this one is what I what I call a pre-prequel. Uh, <laughs> a while ago, readers uh, asked me if I would consider writing a prequel about the day that Estelle, Estelle Reyes-Guzman joined the police force. Uh, she's a popular character in the latter half of the series. And so I did that, and then a reader said, well, wait a minute, Bobby Torres, the current sheriff, is a really interesting character. Uh, How about a story about the day he joins the sheriff's department? And as readers of the series know, Bobby Torres has kind of not a checkered history, but a a really interesting history. There are references made to the days he started on the department. And so I thought, Well, gosh, that's a good idea. And that's where Easy Errors came from. He's an absolute first-day rookie. Uh, Unlike television series, he's not in charge of anything. (laughs) He's he's just a rookie. uh, The incident unhappily involves some of his family. And that's how the story goes. And so if somebody is looking for where to start reading this whole series, it makes sense to start with easy errors because that is actually where everything gets kicked off, progresses through all the remaining 21 titles.
1: And and that's kind of fun. So it took you 22 books to kind of do the pre, pre-sequel, huh? <laughs>
2: a pretty a pre, a prequel
1: yeah the pre-prequel it, it so 22 books later you, you, you went back and you kind of did the pre-prequel and how um how i guess challenging was that for you to kind of have to i mean you had so much information so many books and now you're having to kind of work its way all the way back to the beginning to kind of show things. i mean what was it a challenge to kind of do that and, you know kind of going back instead of <laughs> moving forward It was
2: a huge challenge. There are some things that I never thought about when I decided to do the first prequel, which is a book called One Perfect Shot that covers the day that Estelle Reyes-Guzman is being interviewed for a job with the Sheriff's Department. Um, And I found out really quickly when I did that, whoa, wait a minute, I spent, what, 20 two years or so or 25 years creating these characters and for instance i'll give you an example there's a cop in there called tommy pasquale mm-hmm. he's, he's had a very interesting career well one perfect shot he's only 15 the sheriff needs to talk to him so he goes and finds him and i suddenly realized Now wait a minute This Tom Pasquale, who's only 15, has got to be the same person as the 35-year-old Tommy Pasquale in later books. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is is quite a challenge. Um, Estelle Reyes-Guzman is 22 in one perfect shot. Well, she has to be the same Estelle, with some aging show in, as she is at age... Fifty, which is the book I'm writing right now, uh, she's got to be the same person, and so that's that is a real challenge. And I wasn't, and I don't think I was ready for that. Fortunately, I have a very nice index to the whole Posadas County series that my wife prepared for me, and so uh, I can look back through the index and find a character fairly quickly. So yes, it was a challenge. Yeah,
1: I mean, when the first book when the first book was published back in '91, I mean, you're talking you know this is 26 years later. Uh, these characters have now you know been with you for for quite some time. How how is that dynamic kind of work when when you're writing now? I mean, do they pretty much write themselves? I mean, was, was was the book you know when you're kind of sitting down and putting the putting everything down to pen and paper? I mean, are they kind of writing themselves at this point?
2: Well, I'm, I'm not sure it's fair to say they write themselves, because as far as all these characters go on the boss, So True. I can decide for better or for ill what they do.
1: Uh, I guess they but, may not piss you, you know, off because I, you just might like, so kill committed. one off. So. yeah, Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> well, and that's a good thing. You know, readers should never feel absolutely sure that a character is safe. Hmm. There, there's a, that, that's a good lesson from drama but, you know they should always know in the back of their minds, well, wait a minute, you know Havel could kill this character off at any time. Or, so I' better pay attention. I wish I could say that all those years ago, when I wrote Heart Shot, that was the first one in the series, uh, I wish I could say that I had planned ahead that there was going to be a series. I didn't even get that far. I just thought yeah. it was a story I wanted to write, so I wrote it. I never thought, you know, okay, hey, wait a minute. How do I, how do I make this into a long-lasting series? Series. I'm not sure I would have started with a 60-year-old character in the first
1: book if I had. <laughs> if you knew 22 but months later, yeah, that. that's worked pretty well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, and um, now. I, I I don't want to go, you know, all the way back to the beginning, but w- when you're kind of progressing your way through the series and you you kind of seeing how yep. things were taking shape and kind of how the series was progressing, what, what what kind of like big surprises did you kind of maybe have along the way that, that there might be a book in there that maybe kind of like shifted? Uh, you can kind of say, you know what? you know, like Heart Shot was this way and then the next book was this way, but then book three, I really kind of made a shift or I kind of, you know, when did you you kind of feel this series kind of changed and kind of start taking shape and and shifting a little bit? I guess it would be fair
2: to say that probably that process started in the second book. Wow. Like I yeah, because, you know, after I did Heart Shot, uh the publisher was, uh, at this time, I was with uh, McMillan's or St. Martin's Press, and they were interested in what's next. And my editor at St. Martin's, you know, loved Bill Gassner and the whole crew. And so I thought, well, gosh, you know, Heart Shot ended with him having a heart attack. So it makes sense to me without really thinking about it. It makes sense to me to start the next one with him recuperating. And his, not his partner, but his, his, the second lead character is Del Reyes-Buzlan, has gotten married and is now working for a different county. Her husband's with the Indian Health Service up in what is actually Amos Springs. So I thought, well... Castro's recovering from a heart attack let's have him go up there and recuperate well of course you know what happens he gets involved in all kinds of crazy things up there but so, that started me and again i'll admit without thinking about it very much to write a real time series where the characters keep getting older each book and as you know that's not always the case now, take the obvious example: like the Hardy Boys, Frank and Joe, are always 17 and 18, forever. Right. Uh, Jack Reacher changes a little bit in age now and then, but we're never exactly sure where in his career he is. Okay? Well, the story, the series that I did, is what I call a real time series. They keep getting older. The book I'm writing right now, for instance, Bill Gassner is 84. Wow, and he's considering buying. He's considering buying a four-wheel drive wheelchair so he can use it out in the boonies.
1: But still Such a big part of the, the series. I mean, ad- you <laughs> know, he's not. You know, he might not be involved in the <laughs> everyday action day to day, but still a big part of the series. Which is, you know, what makes that character so transcendent and what makes that character, you know, so big is that they're still able to have such a big voice even if they're not you know tailing the gun and physically chasing the bad guys and this and that and and, and you have to be careful how how you use that in the series because
2: readers still want to see excuse me still want to see a crime they still want to see an investigation they want to see some excitement and so it's a balancing act um I decided a number of titles ago. In fact, it was way back with Convenient Disposal uh, where Estelle discovers that her oldest son, who was six at that time in that book, is a musical prodigy. And that subplot has grown and grown and grown. Uh, until now, he is a he is a highly regarded, very wealthy concert pianist and I guess the question I was asking myself when I decided on that for a route for the plot was what can I do that really will complicate Estelle's life? You know, she has to decide. You know, this kid is like a Mozart too. He he belongs to the ages. He belongs to the world. You know, does she quit her job? Does she ask her physician husband to quit his job to support this kid? How do, you, how do you work that out? And so that's a, what I think is, has been quite a popular subplot. I've had lots of comments from readers about it. Uh, some readers like to read the series to see what's happening with the family rather than the crime, which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> well,
1: now. Yeah, here's a question. I, I've never, I just kind of thought of this off the top of my head. I never really have asked someone like yourself that has written, you know, a, a series this long is, was there ever a time that you can kind of look back and say that the series almost ended, that you were just like, you know, I want to, I, I, I kind of want to go maybe another direction and write something else, or have you never had that thought?
2: I think every writer
1: does, uh, and
2: one of my weirder hobbies is the history of medicine. I've got a pretty good library of medical texts and what's more weird is I read them. And for years, for 30 or 35 years, I wanted to write a novel with a, a heavily medical theme. I did four westerns. And okay. I jokingly mean call them my medical westerns because they all involve <laughs> physicians in some way or another. But I wanted to do more than that, but I could never figure out how to do it. Uh, I just, you know, I just didn't know how. I tried a couple times, disastrous, and it didn't work. Finally, it clicked on how to do it. I learned, I guess I could say, I learned enough about how to put that story together. And so I wrote Race for the Dying, which is takes place up in the Puget Sound area. Young physician is only, he's fresh out of the University of Pennsylvania Medical School. The year is 1891. He's always wanted to do sort of what they would call trauma medicine. That specialty didn't exist back then, but that's what he was interested in. There wasn't a convenient war going on at the time. And so he travels, and the advice of his father, who is a surgeon general to the prison, Mm -hmm. he travels west. To hook up with a clinic outside of uh, Puget Sound in 1891, where in the big timber country where everything is wet and slippery and dangerous. Gotcha. Where does he get in trouble? Well, anyway, that that book did pretty well. Mm -hmm. So, of course, (laughs) I did a sequel uh, called Comes a Time for Burning. And the same character and the same clinic. This one involved uh, cholera, which was really interesting to work with. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so there's two in that series. And I I have readers who like that series. I have readers who like the Mosada series. And frequently a book signing. It's like I have a book signing today. So I'm like, oh, asked, when's the next medical one? When's the next, when's the next Dr. Park's book coming out?
1: And I mean, it sometimes as an author, don't you want to look and say, "You do know that I'm signing my brand new book right now, right?" I mean, can you read this one first and maybe email me later about the rest of it?
2: Yeah, I've had people do exactly that.
1: You know, and I mean, I I, I know I have that what I, we, call I know that the
2: little old lady.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know that when I interview, you know, you always kind of right. ask, so you know, what you got coming up on the horizon, because. Uh, a lot of fans might not know, but of course, us—you know, myself and you—and an author, you already know that when this book is out and you're, you're talking about the one that's published, you already have the next one written, and that one's probably being edited, and you're working on on another one. So you always kind of have two or three that are in—you know—in production, if you want to say, just in various stages. So sometimes it's actually difficult for you as an author, since Easy Errors was probably done eight—you know, eight to ten months ago, finished. And you're already you know, deep, deep into the next one that it's kind of hard to go back and say, oh God, yeah, that's that's what Easy Errors is about, and this and because it's it's not the most fresh thing in your mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but I do yeah, find right, it funny you know, that I everybody when they you... go to a book signing, I find it funny when they go to a book signing and they're signing the new book that they have. They're kind of like, oh. When's the next one? It's like, well, can you read this one first? I mean, I I'll get to it. You know, it does take yeah. some time. <laughs> I can't just whip it out, text it to and most... have it all right and edited and everything beautiful. It does take some time. Yep, yeah, that's the most common question
2: I get. So yeah. when's the next one come out? On? And I always tell them, I can't write as fast as you read, so slow down. <laughs> yeah, really.
1: I got twenty one other books. If you haven't read them, you can go back and 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 take your pick. So, um, yep.
2: Yep. You know,
1: I mean, do you, I, I mean, now that you've written, you know, so many books and you're so many under your belt, I mean, wh- what's your drive, I guess, to just keep coming back to the computer, uh, and, and to keep writing this series? What, wh- is it a certain character? Is it, is it, is it the area? Is it the, you know, what is it that, that motivates you every time to want to keep telling stories from Posadas County? Well, first of all, they the, uh, that's part of the,
2: part of the storyteller's disease. And I don't think it ever goes away. You know, I've been telling stories since I was a little kid. Some of them believable, some of them not. And I like to tell stories. Uh, I like the process of writing books. Believe it or not, I actually like to type. I like that mm. process. Um, I love the modern, the modern gifts that computers have given us. You know, they're quiet. They make editing so easy. Right. Uh, they can print out the copy. You know, so effortlessly that makes the storytelling simpler. Remember the old days of using carbon <laughs> paper. And <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: yeah. And then you had to stop, and you had to correct think, it on yeah, the I page, remember. and yeah. <laughs> That's right. I used to. I wrote my
2: first novel on a 1936 Royal typewriter that belonged to my father. Wow! You know, I'm sitting here in front of an. I'm sitting here in front of an I, was, I yeah. was working on the new book uh, when you called. So, but what fascinates me about the stories, what keeps bringing me back, is what do I want these characters to do? You know, how, how do I want their lives to go? This is it's a scene I'm right in the middle of right now. Uh, her son, both sons and their girlfriends, are stepping out of a Gulfstream four that's just brought them back to Posadas for just Christmas Day. That's all they can afford, because Francisco, the oldest son, the pianist, is in the middle of a five-week Beethoven festival. Outside of Munich, mm-hmm. but he can get away for a day, and he's discovered the joys of jet travel. You don't waste time in airports when you right. get that kind of money and that kind of everything. You you go the company via jet, so a Gulfstream four takes you where you need to go. And he he comes back from Germany, he picks up his brother, who's a student at Stanford University in the architecture school, and they come to Posadas for one day. And now, what's the point of that? Well, he's going to break some enormous news to his mother, Estelle, uh, that readers of the series who have been following along are going to be flabbergasted. And, of course, that's part of the fun. What, What could he, after 21 books, and he's been in them all, what could this kid who's now 25 years old tell his mother that would just blow her mind? I mean, the guy to his girlfriend is pregnant and that wouldn't do it. That's too common. Right. You know. Uh, what what could he have up his sleeve that he hasn't told us? And that, that's just downright fun. You know, if writing novels is not fun, if the joy of storytelling is not fun, I don't think people are gonna be
1: successful. I I agree with that. I mean, I I think that if Writing becomes work, I think it shows in the book, and I think people will get turned off from it. I think it has to not act like it's work, and that's what makes it entertaining. Yes. You know, I mean, and that's with anything. I think that if you're an actor or a sports person or anybody that's in the entertainment field that is doing whatever you do to entertain somebody in the medium you're doing, that if it becomes work, it no longer. I I think you start losing your edge. And that's when things start going down. Yeah, I think yeah. when you do that, yeah. I mean of course writing you can, in the business
2: you could
1: keep going. And you can tell when they're having fun. You know,
2: we just had a, a big mega signing in Albuquerque at the Albuquerque Museum. Uh they had a room with twenty four of us in there. And I was looking across at all these people, David Morrell and uh one of my favorite folks, Joe Badal who I think you folks publish. Uh, we do. And, yeah, and and just, when Joe is talking to people, he's always got this big grin on his face. I mean, he yeah, loves he it. And, that, and that's great. He doesn't take himself very seriously, um, but he just loves what he's doing. So,
1: yeah, he know, does. He loves the process. He to, loves, loves the, love the creativeness, process. yeah. I think... I think what yep. he loves the yep. most and, and you probably do too is you kinda like to see what's next. I mean, even though you're the author and you kinda have an idea of maybe what's next, you just you 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 just don't know yeah. until it's actually done. So I think that once you finally figure out what's next and then you see it on the page, that's when you go, Wow, that's that's really cool. Yeah,
2: it's an exploratory process. I it
1: think. definitely is.
2: I mean, I know some Not writers. writers. Who
1: have,
2: yeah, I know some writers. Some writers who have to outline in huge detail. Right. Uh, I know one famous writer who says that she has to have an 80-page single spaced outline of her book. And you know, my response to that would be what? <laughs> <problem?"> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I think, think organic writing is taking over. Take- I think organic writing is taking over more than. You know, the old, when I was in school, it was always outline, outline, outline everything. Um, But I think now people are starting to see, like, Stephen King and people like that. They just kind of write organically and kind of see where the story takes them instead of stringently putting down an outline and kind of, like, sticking to it, which I think kind of, um, you know, squelches the creative process while you're in the creative process, I believe. So I I don't think that – I like the organic part of it. I like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, yes. Steve, it has been a joy to sit here and talk with you and, and get a li- to know a little bit about, you know, Posadas County and your and your whole series of 22 books. Um, I would say that the best place for people to go would go to com to find out more information about your books and, and what you have going on. Of course, the book is available now on Amazon and, and whatever you format you want to buy it in. It's, uh, you know, Kindle hardcover. Uh, they can get it now. So I want to sure. thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to us about it and, you know, wish you nothing but the best in the future.
2: Well, John, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to deal with us.
1: <laughs> oh, I love I love dealing with you. It's always, whenever I get, you know, the, the next author on here um, will be a totally separate world for me. I, I get to immerse. The good thing about me interviewing is that I get to immerse myself in all your worlds and get to hear everything that you guys are going on yeah. and that's and that's what keeps me coming back is the stories that you guys bring um and the worlds that I get to explore. So that's what I'm grateful for. Well we we we
2: appreciate your efforts.
1: Well thank you so much Steve. You have a good one and enjoy. We'll talk with you soon.
2: Okay, thank you. Bye bye.
1: Alright bye bye. So again everybody that is author Steve Havel and the book is called Easy Errors Uh, It's book 22 in the Posadas County Mystery Series. You want to check it out now. It's available. You go to Amazon, and you can get it now. We're going to take a short break. We're going to be back with our next author, Matt Coyle, and we will see you right after this on the other side. Everybody here after the break uh, We want to thank of course Steve Havel For coming on and joining with us We are going to jump now into Our next guest he is author Matt Coyle His latest book is called Blood Truth It is the fourth novel In his uh, Rick Cahill crime series And he's won An Anthony award also for this series And so we're very excited to be able To speak with Matt for the first time So Matt thanks so much for coming on How you doing?
0: Good. Sure, thanks for having me on John
1: so again, like I just mentioned, like Blood Truth now is your fourth book in your series, uh, Anthony Award winning series, you can published through um, Ocean View. The book actually comes out December the 5th, so if anybody's listening to the show now, um, they want to make sure that they wait till December the 5th, kind of put their, uh, you know, you can pre-order it, of course, if they want to now, but December 5th is when the book actually releases. So why don't you tell us what you got going on here in Blood Truth?
0: Absolutely. Uh, actually, um, I'm actually having my launch party today. I'm in San Diego at Mysterious Galaxy. So, just any San Diegans out there want to come by and oh. uh, see me live, which is really exciting. Um,
1: nice down I'll in San Diego. There. and I'm in LA, so we're on the same we're on the same time zone here.
0: I'm guessing it's a nice day up there because it looks pretty good right now.
1: It's nice and windy right now. Right now we're getting wind, so hopefully that stops. But I guess I just looked at the weather, and Tuesday and Wednesday it's going to be 92 degrees. I'm like, okay, enough of the summer. Let's get into the fall. <laughs> we don't need 90s anymore. So you know
0: that's why yeah. that's why I live it. That's why San Diego tends to be when it gets hot about 10 degrees less than LA. But anyway, um, it
1: does.
0: so blood truth. Yeah, it is my fourth. It's the fourth in the Rick Cahill crime series. Um, it, the readers who started at the beginning with yesterday's echo. No, that for one thing, Rick Cahill, the uh, protagonist, carries a lot of baggage, and the one thing that's always hovered over him has this dark cloud of his father's past. His father was a uh, a uh, cop on the La Jolla Police Department down in San Diego, and he, uh, when Rick was a kid, his father, who was um, really respected in the community, they they uh, used him, the police department used him for uh, public service announcements and things like that. All of a sudden he is uh asked to leave the force we'll say. Rick doesn't Rick never even knows exactly what happened, but the rumors are that his father had been a bagman for the mob, and so as he's growing up, this man he's had huge respect for um, first of all, he sees him in now a different light and then he sees him slowly uh, de- deteriorate as he becomes an alcoholic and and kind of pisses his life away and dies as cirrhosis of the liver of the liver when Rick's in college and so this is always, um, like I said, pushed down on Rick throughout his life. Rick's a PA. He's a private investigator in San Diego. He's got his own dark past where he was a cop in Santa Barbara, um, arrested for his wife's murder. This is about 12 years ago from present day, arrested for his wife's murder, uh, never tried, released, but never exonerated. Still to this day remains the, um, prime suspect. So Rick ha- has these two things, um, kind of falling, uh, pushing down on him throughout life. And, um, he's always wondered what was the truth about, uh, you know, what happened to his father. And he asked him at one time when he was young, and his father didn't give an answer and pretty much closed the conversation. So in present day, Rick, um, gets contacted by a guy who has bought the house he grew up in. Um, it's had a couple of owners since then, but the house he'd grown up in, the guy has, um, uh, stripped it down to the studs because he wants to – it's in La Jolla, of course, uh, Tony La Jolla, where it's uh, really nice and you want to take advantage of the view. He's, he's uh, rebuilding the house, and, and by um, tearing it down, he's found this – and what Rick knows, how the guys described the room, Rick knows this to be his father's um, den where this, this uh, new owner has found this safe hidden in a wall behind some shelving. So, uh, Rick remembers as a kid, the the, uh, den was a place where no one was ever allowed—not even his mom. Although Rick one time stole his uh, or found his father's extra set of keys and uh, went into the den and didn't find anything. He did find one thing. He found um, just messing around as a kid. He found this ledger that had um, um, dollar amounts and dates on it, and he later uh, in life realized that this was a um, a ledger of payoffs to the mob. Throughout his life, although he, everyone pretty much, you know, thought his father had gone bad, and Rick did as well, but he held out this one sliver of hope that he hadn't. So when this guy presents him with this safe, Rick has to investigate. Um, his his uh his force in life is to find the truth, no matter what. Um, and so he ends up getting the safe open and finds clues that lead him um, on the path to finding out the truth about his father. In the meantime, because I like to make things rough when I uh, write, he, there's a, um, this book actually has two A-plots, which I've never done before. I usually have a um, major subplot, which deals with Rick and his past, his inner demons. But this, I wanted to have two stories going at once, and there's an overall theme um, of family, although I'm not really a thematic writer. Sometimes um, they come about um, organically. So mm-hmm. Rick sure. has got this, this, this uh, aside from his wife, he's got had one other love in his life, but because he's so messed up in the head that he's never been able to fully commit to this woman. And she ends up marrying another guy and um, she hasn't seen, he hasn't seen her in a couple of years. So she um, contacts him to check and to check up on her husband and see if he's having an affair. And they've only been married I think for about two years. So when Rick, Is contacted by her again. He has these feelings for her that that bubble up to the surface again, and then he starts to delve into the the husband's real life, and he's kind of uh, torn about how much, about how bad he feels about feeling (laughs) good that this guy might be bad, and maybe there's a chance back into her life, and so these things revolve around, and um, eventually we find out the truth about both.
1: When you're looking back, I guess. When, when, you're, when you're now in book four, and, and I always like to, you know, because I've read many, many series, and I kind of see that right around this time, three, four, when you're getting into the series, is when you kind of start seeing, like, the shift of the characters and maybe the author and the, and the book start going in, into kind of maybe like a different direction. Did you feel that that was something that maybe you had to do with Blood Truth, or were you kind of trying to, you know, still stay on, on the same kind of road, um, as the books have kind of been going, um, I knew that
0: there's two there's two mysteries in, in Rick's life. But first of all, when I wrote the first book, um, Yesterday's Echo, I, I I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I still don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I have confidence that I can do it for some stupid reason <laughs> because I've done it before. But I, I didn't I didn't even know until I was. It's written in first person. It's it's um, hard boiled ish, uh, although of course the okay. publisher calls it thriller, my agent calls it the uh, literary mystery, I call it hard boil with noirish undertone so to me it's all crime, it's a crime novel but right. it's in first person so that, that lends itself to a certain kind of voice and generally there's um, there's also uh, a past and, and um, this guy's got a past and the two questions in his life have been his wife's murder and his father's fall from um, fall or his father's disgrace and uh, I knew I always had to uh, – I had to answer at least one of them. And I, I, at some point, I think, depending on how long the series goes, I'm going to have to go to the wife thing. But um, I didn't even know what the deal was. I don't even know what the story was the wife thing yet. <laughs> uh, I'm four books, four books in, and I don't know exactly what happened. That that'll will come to me. It, it doesn't – obviously, I'm not a great um, – outliner um in terms of the overall arc of the character and and um of the uh, of individual books but so i knew i'd have to address this father thing and uh it came about for this book felt right um it so happened that i'd lost my own father uh, about three months before i started writing this book but i was i pretty sure that i was still going to write a father-son book anyway but of course it added uh a little bit more honest emotion to the book and um some extra poignancy, if you may, if I may, um, but I, so I knew when, once I it was, I don't even really know if I'm answering your question, but in the first once I was halfway through writing this first book, I knew I was writing a series. I just, I realized that this character had a lot, a lot of stuff to, um, investigate and develop. So I did know when I figured the father, when I knew that the father had something horrible in his past, that I was going to definitely, um, investigate that at some point, have Rick, Rick investigate, and it just were, it felt right for this book.
1: I don't know, to plan gotcha. right now,
0: but it just felt right for this book.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the third, fourth book in a series, when when you kind of know now that this is a series that's, that's going to continue, I mean, it's not one that you say, hey, you know, I'm going to write only seven books, or I'm only writing six books, and then the series is going to end. This is one of those ongoing series, as long as you know, Rick has stories to tell, and you want to keep telling them is when it's going to go. So you kind of have to throw, you know, these uh, these wrenches into the series, and you got to kind of get people off of their comfortable spots so when they pick it up, they're like, whoa, you know, didn't didn't see, you know, Matt doing that to us here with this one. And then when that way when, you know, book seven and book eight come out, they the reader is, is going to be, you know, happily, like, surprised because they just don't know what you're going to have in store for them. I think too many times some authors, when they write series, they kind of get into that formulaic writing where, yeah, you know, people feel comfortable, but then I don't think they're no longer surprised. I don't think they're no longer shocked. I think it's just, okay, you know, what's the formula? Yeah, you know, good guy does this, gets this, goes around, almost gets killed, gets bad guy, game over. So, you know what I mean?
0: Exactly. I think of um – um I think of series writing, I think there's two ways to go about it, and neither one's better than the other. I just know it works for me. I think of some, uh, what I would consider maybe episodic series, where it's kind of like watching a Law and Order or something, where you know a little bit about the um, protagonists, the cops. You don't see much of their home life, maybe a little bit, but the story is the thing. The the crime is the thing, and they're going to solve it in a certain amount of time. And I mean, it happens with books too, where you don't carry over some stuff. Rick has got, I knew when I'm writing the first book that there was so much baggage for this guy that things that decisions he'd made in his life have repercussions, and those repercussions carry over. They go from book to book. So for me, and that's the only way it's interesting for me, is to have, um, to have something that needs to be figured out. As you go, it makes it sometimes it makes it difficult to write each each book because you maybe have something a little left over from an earlier book. So maybe you're on book book four where if someone's picking me up for the first time and God bless them, I hope they do. I don't want to um, spoil things for them in the first three books, but I also have to to my other readers, I have to address things that have been going on. So in some ways, writing it this way is very you're walking a very uh, delicate tightrope. But um, so far, I think I've done it okay. It's worked out okay. I've had a few um, reviewers say, you know, you, with each book, it's part of a series, but you can pick it up as a standalone, which really makes me feel good because I've done my job, I think. But it, is, uh, it does add extra, I think, difficulty in writing the books as opposed to just having, well, this is the story for this book, and then we're moving on to the next one, um, as opposed to having this, you know, things that carry over.
1: Now, when you are sitting down and getting ready to write the, um, you know, the next one and, and go into the next one and into the series, when, when you get thoughts and, and plots that you kind of want to um, write about, do you kind of maybe sometimes have to massage them so they'll fit into a Rick Cahill book, or do you have some plots and things that you know you really want to write about, but they're just not going to fit in the series, and we might see something different from you in the future?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, I think there there will be something different. Um, for me in the future, I don't know how different, but um, I think that I'll—I um, don't want to get too deep into the book business, but to uh, make more money, I think I will start a new series um, with a different character, and which I intend to do when I have more time to write. But I intend to write Rick um, as long as I can. Um, but there's some things like I don't I. I I don't write. I may have ideas about writing something very contemporary and perhaps political, but I'm not going to do it because uh, the country truly is at 50-50 right now. And why potentially turn off half my readers if I give my political point of view or a political point of view? Um, yeah, that's but a tough one. one
2: it's, it is. So, and it, for me, I don't,
0: I don't, I don't. Who cares what I think about whatever's going on? And I mean, I, I deal with but the. My what's most interesting to me is the inner turmoil with all characters, whether it's my protagonist or whether it's the bad guy. That's what's most interesting to me. And so when I'm thinking about writing a book, I try to find an inciting incident that will reveal character that to um, be something that uh, for one thing, Rick has to be emotionally, he's a private investigator.
2: Mm-hmm. We're looking
0: at one case he has once a year. Well, of course he's got plenty of cases uh, when he's not on the page. And he's not emotionally invest, invested in all those, but the ones I'm going to write about, for me to be, for it to be interesting, he has to be emotionally investigated, inve- investigated, invested into the case. So there has to be something that ties him in. And it may be something that is, um, um, relation to his own past or something like that. Or, um, of course, women are always good to have, um, cause we can get emotionally, uh, tied in and then mess it up. Um, but, so there, Rick, there has been some changes in his character, but I think um, the one thing about him is that he is kind of so stunted that um, he's not going to have a huge arc in terms of character. He has small moments. And actually in this book, it there's more personal growth for him in this book and not just because of uh, what happens with the uh, revelation about his father. He actually has a, a, another PI he works with named Moira McFarland who's appeared in a couple other books, and um, I, I needed her for I think one scene in this book, so I put her in, and then, bang, she became. She's in almost the whole book. She's an important part of the whole book, and their relationship um, opens up things for. I mean, Rick actually has a friend now, so he's making he's making <laughs> growth. He's having growth. He has a friend. But um, I got way afield, I think, on your original question, but you, one thing you said that kind of um, made me think about um, something in relation to this book that hadn't necessarily happened with the other books is that I wrote the book that I intended to write from day one. Some, I'm, I'm a uh, – what I call a blank or Other parts of the country we call them pantsers where you write by the seat of your pants – the blank paging goes back to Raymond Chandler who he every day said he'd have to look at the blank page in the typewriter. So anyway, it's the same deal where you you don't outline. And so right. sometimes you have an idea of where your book's going to go and by not outlining things happen organically and the the story may take a turn and you decide, Hey, I'm going to go with this. I don't care where I thought I was going. This is more interesting. Well, this book, I wanted to tell the story and I wanted to have it the, um, the emotion that's in it, and I wanted to have the tone that's in it, and I am actually i actually wrote the book I intended to write, um, which is new for me, <laughs> but it felt good.
1: So, I mean, I'm just uh, – when fans kind of are just finding out about you, and they're looking and they're like, oh, okay, Blood Truth, it's the fourth book, and they can go back into Dark Fishers or Night Tremors or Yesterday's Echo – um, I, I know that you know you, you wrote these books and they can kind of go standalone, but uh, there are, of course people are always going to ask you. Know, should I start at the beginning? Can I start with book four? You know, how do you answer that question? Might as well just get it out there right now.
0: I'll be getting that question probably later this afternoon. Um, right. The book so You might
1: as well get your answer ready.
0: <laughs> well, the answer is all. The answer is always, of course, whatever book I happen to be out with now. But
2: exactly. but I do have people.
0: I have. I have friends that. Um, you know, people, you know, Facebook is a wonderful thing for writers. It's um you really are, reconnect with a lot of people who didn't know you were a writer, people you may have gone to high school with and they read and they're interested in somebody they used to know that writes. And so I will have people ask me, you know, well I I see that you have now four books out. Where should I start? And in that instance, if they um really do if they're not at my event where I am the the um bookseller has brought in all these wonderful new hard copies for me to sell, God bless them. I will say, well, go Sure, it would probably make sense to start at the beginning with yesterday's echo, um, because there is progression. But um, as I said earlier, the books have been have been said to be able to stand alone.
1: And, and, and that's typically the way. The yeah, and that's typically the way that you know. I think a lot of series are written now. Um, of course, there's always an underlining. I guess you want to say uh, storylines uh, you know that that run through the series of the books that are that are separate from each plot that you know creates the tension within each book but the one thing that I always found interesting was let's say that you read book 2 then 3 then 1 then 4 do you see like an author difference do you see like a different you know Matt Coyle with each book um and and whether or not it's like a dialogue or the scene setting or kind of how you structure things or whatnot, do do, do you think readers you know see a different Matt Coyle in every book?
0: I think so. Um, I don't know how much uh, how much I want to say about this, but I I think that I think that every first book tend to be slightly overwritten because for one thing you're not on the you're not on a contract you have all this life I mean it took me I it took me 10 years to get published for my first book. And, um, so it was probably five or six iterations of it, revisions where I'd send it out to, um, agents and get rejected. Then I rewrite. And I was becoming that guy who was never going to get past his first book because, you know, I was trying to perfect it. But I think that, and in, in I think that some of the writing can be a little, I think you tend to overwrite your first book. And, um, mm-hmm. I think the first book's really good and it did end up winning the Anthony. Um, and sometimes I wonder if I've gotten away from maybe being as descriptive as I used to be. Um, I wonder about that with, you know, with, with as time now as a factor in all the books I write. But I think that, um, the, the change is, um, maybe with Rick too. And that, um, in the first book, although he was a cop for, uh, about two and a half years in Santa Barbara. It's been, I think, eight years since he was a cop. He's working in a restaurant, and he's been away from that kind of life. He's he's actually hidden from life because, and being a suspect for his wife's murder, um, he had the, he had the police spotlight on him and the media spotlight on him. So he's in book one. We see him eight years after the fact. He is living a much smaller life. He used to be a cop big behind the badge. Now he's managed a restaurant, but he wants—he doesn't want to have anything to do with Spotlight or anything to do with that old life. Well, um, events, you know, progress, and he's forced into um, having to take action. And thus, in the next book, he becomes a private investigator. He's a private investigator. So I think it, it, with each book, he's a little harder. He's a little, um, although more scarred, those scars have um, – grown over and he's he's there's probably a little bit more to an edge to him. And, um, in that respect, I think he, he has to be careful about how, um, how much crossing over the line he'll do. Mm-hmm. I don't think do i he's going
1: to, do you think that in the future that he might be a little bit more reckless that do you see maybe a little bit more of a dark turn? Um, uh, or do you just? Have, or you really just have no idea what's going to maybe kind of transpire in the next, you know, two, three, four books down the road?
0: Uh, yes to both. I really, I don't <laughs> have. A, I know a lot of authors are very organized and who have a, a lot of ideas waiting for them. I don't have a lot of ideas waiting for me. I have to go find it. With uh, the last couple of books, I've had to go find it on their own. But um, I did have this one waiting for me. Um. Uh. I. Perhaps I mean, here's one thing is that I try to make um, violence as real as possible in terms of the uh, effects it have on somebody. And Rick has had – he's been beat up a lot. He's had a lot – he's been hitting his head a lot. And I'm thinking that um, in later books, I could – for one thing, he thinks he's going to die young, and um, I could probably see that too. But I think that all these beatings he's taken are going to have a physical – toll for him where you know you think about NFL and CTE and all the head injuries and stuff. Sure. He's probably been knocked unconscious four or five three or four times at least. So, I think that that is going to have an effect on him and where that takes him, I don't know. He may end up um you know being seen <laughs> at the very end. Yeah. when uh, uh, I finish writing the series, but um uh yeah, I think there's a little bit more edge each book. And, and that's something I think that he has to grapple with too, personally.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and, and you know that's always kind of fun when, when you kind of look around and you and you and you're not really sure what's going to happen, but you kind of have an idea what's going to happen. Um, but I guess we're just gonna, you know, I guess readers just gonna have to wait and see how, uh, you know, how you how you take it because you know things can change. Like you said earlier, it's I'm waiting for the wave of, you know, political thriller books. I know that they're already kind of starting to talk about, you know, what our country's like right now. I mean, how many books are going to start coming out with a president like we have now and to see all the stuff that goes on and how much behind the scenes and all this stuff really starts happening. So, you know, when you kind of foreshadow things, you're just not really sure what could happen in the next two or three years and maybe how things go. I mean, hell, we never foreshadowed this one, I know, three years ago.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a, a um, tumultuous time. Oh, I, yeah, it's 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 some kind of time, um, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, I don't mind telling people my political beliefs. I can't stand it. I think it's I think it's horrid and embarrassing is what's going on. Um, but that's just me. So, I guess the you know. what – I'm just sitting here thinking about, you know, cause we only got about two minutes left. So I'm trying to get a quick question in, but why don't you just go ahead and like, kind of let everybody know, you know, where the best places to find you and um, the, you know, where, where they can find your social media and everything that they want to kind of find out about you. Is it your website?
0: Um, uh, you know, my website is Matt Um, I am, uh, active on Facebook. Um, cause I understand Facebook. I'm on Twitter and I know how to retweet. That's, that's about it. Um, I'll, so you can I'll retweet so you, so,
1: you, so you're not the original tweeter, but you're the we, so no. you're the retweeter I know
0: how to push the little arrow thing and I know how to push the heart
1: um <laughs> but in, the,
0: in terms of original tweeting i do a whole but I am very active on twitter any i'm sorry on facebook anybody who knows me uh knows a lot about my dog angus and his his many um positions on the couch so um i'm very I'm very active on and and also uh, my uh, email address on, for my website is uh, mattcloyabooks at gmail.com. I'm always um, happy to answer emails. I always answer all my emails and happy to talk to any uh, book groups or what have you.
1: Now, don't say that your book was named after Angus Young. Or not your book, your dog. dog. you mean?
0: Well, no, my my uh, wife, my ex-wife. We're uh, we we share a dog now. We're divorced, but we, we got the dog together, and um, I wanted to name him Seamus, and she thought, no, we'll, that people call him Shame for short. So she went with Angus, and um, that's easy a yellow lab,
1: and it doesn't, doesn't doesn't
0: completely fits now. I can't think of anything but Angus. But uh, the wife, the ex-wife, got the name to that one, that one.
1: Because I was just going to say. Today, we just found out the news that Angus's brother, Malcolm Young, just died from ACDC at 64 years old. Not a shock. He was sick oh. for quite some time with dementia. But, yeah, so Malcolm uh-huh. just passed away at 64. So there goes, you know, another, uh, kind of another era just coming to Gosh. an end. ACDC is, you know, you know, no Brian Johnson, no Malcolm Young. Bon Scott died really young. Um, oh, I forget the name of the drummer, but, you know, he he went crazy. Phil Rudd, I think. So yeah, so you got Angus standing there all by himself going, What am I gonna do? That's, but yeah, it's sad things it for the family. A, but that's that, that's what made me bring that up when you said Angus. I was like, you know, that's the only really the only Angus I know is Angus Young. <laughs> it's been a tough t-
0: it's been a tough few years for music, that's for sure.
1: That's for sure, Boston man. Rodney. Wow, we're losing Boston a lot Rodney. of pioneers, aren't we? Yeah. I think it means we're getting but old. I guess it's just the time, you know. I mean our families our dad my dad and mom went through the same thing when I was, you know, 15, 16 years old and those people Started dying and I'm like who are those So of course my kids are <laughs> like who You know but yeah it's been One of those things but hey Matt I want to thank you So much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure uh, Can't wait to talk to you the next time Wish you nothing but the best Hey thanks
0: a lot for having me I enjoyed it
1: Alright bye bye so again everybody That is author Matt Coyle make sure you go Out and buy the book Blood Truth Book 4 in the Rick Cahill series Check out com for more Information and Uh, Like I said, go to Amazon. You can check out the book and get it right now. We are going to take another short break. We're going to be back with our next guest. Very excited to talk to our good friend, Daryl Wood Gerber, about her newest adventure that she has coming out, A Deadly Eclair, book one, in her French Bistro Mystery Series. You know I love my cozies. I love my cozies. So we're going to be waiting here to talk to Daryl. So here you go. Back here after the break Uh, We are one hour down One hour left here in 2017 With uh, Suspense Radio Inside Edition and no better way We thought that we could finish the show uh, Or not finish the show But of course our last show of the year To have one of our friends on Daryl Wood Gerber Talking about her newest Adventure that she has going on She is taking us to the French Bistro And she has a new book out Called A Deadly Eclair so, Daryl, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How you doing?
3: I am doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. the, dev, I mean, the French Bistro Mystery, and like I said when I was talking with uh, Shannon, and we were like, wait a second, she's into eclairs now? What's going on here? So wh- <laughs> where did this come from?
3: Well, you know, it's one of those things. My, my agent was talking to me when the cheese shop mysteries that I wrote as Avery Ames, uh, was let go by my publisher. They decided to downsize in some of the cozy realm. And I had another series, The Cookbook Nook Mysteries, which I write as Daryl Wood Gerber. Um, right. But I wanted to write something else that was also in the foodie realm, so I, because I write culinary mysteries. I mean, in addition to my suspense novels, I write cozy mysteries. And they're yep. foodie-oriented. And um, who knew I had to cook to be a, a mystery writer, right? But they're set <laughs> right. in Napa Valley in a little fictional enclave called Nouvelle Vie, which means new life. And uh, the the main character is Mimi Russo, and she is a chef who moves back to t- uh, to home um, to open a bistro and the next next door uh, bed and breakfast, and it features French food. And it came because my agent said, "Have you ever thought about writing about French food?"
2: <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I went, now, Have you ever thought no. about writing and about actually, murder?" Actually, I this sort and of and panicked
3: as I thought, gee, I yeah. like French food." My husband, my husband, uh, it, it, he. It, He asked me to marry him at a French restaurant, so I like French food, but I didn't know if I could cook it well and do it appropriately. And I've really had an experience this last year, putting up my game, you know, getting up my game in in cooking, which has been great.
1: So yeah, so so they come to, and it's like, hey, you know, you know, it's not about writing a murder mystery or this and that. It's like, um, so do you want to write about French food? (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, sure, let's write about French well, food. Well, you know, it, now it, it's sort of the way the cheese shop
3: came. Is you write mysteries, but can you set it in a cheese shop? Yeah, and this one but, was, well, you, you write mysteries, but can you do it around French food? It's just you take a theme because that's the hook. And yeah. in cozies, as you know, there are there are major hooks that are, are necessary to draw in the readers. Readers like oh, to yeah. read about they like to read about books. They like to read about knitting or, or different kinds of crafts. So this is the hook. The hook happens to be food, and it, has to be, it happens to be French food this time. But I said it in Napa Valley because that's one of my favorite places. I'm from California, and I've gone to the wine country often. What a tragedy that's gone on there in Santa Rosa and, and, and Sonoma and everything else. And I know it will come back. They're resilient people, so it will be an absolutely you know beautiful valley soon again. But it's nice to have a, an escape story set there right now.
1: Yeah, we've been there a couple times and um, it is a it's a, it's a beautiful area. If people haven't had a chance to go to it, and, and when you see the devastation of the fire, you just your heart goes out to them. And you're going, oh, yeah. those poor people and what they had to go through. I mean, because it was so fast yeah. um, that that happened. But the other thing that you know, you but you now had to create this whole other world again. I mean, you're done with the cheese shop. Now we're going yeah. into the French cooking, which is fine. But now you need characters and you yeah. need a setting and you need to have all these things. So how is that creation process? Because sometimes that's more of the fun than the actual book.
3: Well, <laughs> for the author, you know, it, it, it is fun to, to set up a whole new world. You, it, it's like, you know, when you're writing one book, those are your high school friends, and when you write another book, those are your college friends, and then you write another right. book, and oh, gee, those are your adult friends. You know what I'm saying is each yes. world is a brand new set of new friends. And so when I got to create these, I mean, I, when I created Mimi Russo, and I just, I loved those names. They were very French to me. I mean, I really studied some French names to put her together for me. And, and she came alive when I got her name and when I figured out what she looked like. And then when I figured out her best friend, Jorianne, who who is a um, is a, just a lovely, sassy character, and they call her Joe, um, to come up with the other people that surround her that, You know, when I write books, I like them to be about family or about the family that you create. That's sort of a theme that runs in all my stories is that it's either about the family itself or it's the family you create. In this case, Mimi has her mother, but her dad has passed away. She has Brian Baker, who is an entrepreneur and invests in her and helps her open her restaurant and the bed and breakfast. He becomes like a father figure to her. He's an older guy, great guy, and and he's supportive of her. So I started coming up with this story. I mean, the story comes and, and the ending comes. I always know the ending. I always know who did it and who died. And then okay. I created – I went up to Napa and did some research, and I stayed in a lovely bed and breakfast, and I sort of drew from that to, to create my bed and breakfast. Um, and, you know, I went wine tasting, and I, I decided that I would have a couple of, you know, vintners represented in the book, but it's not about wine. It's about food. I did work mm-hmm. in a restaurant. I ran a restaurant down here in Los Angeles for a while, um, a little bit, and and I worked as a waitress, and I worked as a hostess, so I know the ins and outs of a restaurant, and so that's how I was able to build it. It's fun. It's fun. I love creating new characters, and coming up with their names is a blast.
1: And you know, and a lot of the times in, in book 1 when when people when you do a cozy book there has to be a reason why Mimi now starts becoming this amateur sleuth. So, right. what did you do to to this poor woman to now you've well, just messed up her whole life. Sadly,
3: and it, and it is on the blurb, so I'm not giving anything away. Right. But um Brian Baker, her entrepreneur, her sponsor, who is like a father figure to her, is murdered. And he leaves he, he forgives her debt if he dies to him, and so she's number one suspect, Yeah, and she has to clear her name, and she wants to solve who killed her friend. Now, I did have somebody write me and say, I hated that you killed him. I liked him so much, and I talked to other authors, and they say, yeah, yeah, we like to kill bad people, and I said, yeah, but good people die, too. And yeah. and I've really mixed that up in my books. It not, it's not always a bad person that dies in my books. Sometimes it's someone we love, it's someone we care about. And this woman was really upset with me because she really liked Brian. And I thought, well, I'm sorry, but you know, this is, it, it does make it more poignant for Mimi because she really cared about him. Everybody cared about him except obviously somebody.
1: Yeah. Well. And the one thing—well, you didn't care about him too much either, because you killed him. But well, the, I um, did care about him. Actually,
3: I loved him when I decided to do that. It was like, why am I doing this? I really struggled I love you, with it. I loved you, but I had
1: to kill you.
3: Yeah, so. I, I really struggled with it. But sometimes it, it's—you know—it's a matter of, of what will drive this person who's never investigated a crime before to become an amateur sleuth, you know, and, you know to, I, to I w- get nosy.
1: And what I would tell that reader is this, is like, well, here's the thing. Yeah, you know, maybe she killed off a character that you like, but here's the thing is that you are now going to be a lot more invested in wanting to make sure that the killer comes to justice, so you're not going to want to really put the book down because you're going to want to make sure that whoever killed, you know, Brian, is now going to come to justice and going to get theirs. So that's a great emotional reaction that you've given that reader, even though they might look at it as a negative. That's actually a positive.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the woman wrote, and she said, I did finish it. And I said, well, of course okay. she did.
1: She had to. It was the same thing that R.L. Stein would always say. He always said his favorite email was from a young boy who sat there and said, I've read every single one of your Goosebumps book, and I hate every single one of them.
3: Oh, isn't that <laughs> like, hysterical? Okay. But you read them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. That means yeah. the kids so don't like getting scared. He, he
1: always brings up that story, and that's just funny. Um, But what's the biggest challenge? You know, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, you're just writing another cozy, so it can't be that much of a challenge. But it's a big challenge going out of, you know, the cheese stop and all those characters and having to now jump into a totally other kind of world and and a whole other set of characters and a whole other set of problems. What was your biggest challenge, you know, jumping from one to the other?
3: Well, I think the biggest challenge is coming up with something fresh. You know, coming up with a story that you haven't read before, coming up with characters that you haven't read before. I mean, you know, these are not cookie cutter mysteries, even though they might come out very often, you know, one a year and a title or something like that. Um, It's not like we just put it through a process and, and spit it out. Um, I outline, I I worry over the outline, I worry over all the different reasons why uh, this person is a suspect, why that person is a suspect. I really, really worry over the climax, um, and I worry over... Uh, Mimi not being just a nosy nose, you know. She has to have a reason why someone would talk to her. Um, She has to have a reason to bump into somebody um, so that, you know, if she's going to ask a question. And why wouldn't the police ask that question? These are very difficult things for a cozy author. It's why the police, you know, why is the police not getting to this before the amateur sleuth? And, you know, this was always one of the problems with um, murder she wrote and all those kinds of, you know, TV shows, and et cetera, um, is you want to make sure that you don't just make a fool of the police. That's not okay. And in this no. case, I haven't. Um, Tyson is a friend of Mimi's. He's a very good friend. They were, went to high school together. He's very smart. He's very dutiful. His father was a, 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 in the law enforcement. And he's doing his job. She's just getting to it in a different way. And she says to him at one point, I'm a chef. That means I pay attention to detail. And I break things down one ingredient at a time. So she has an eye for things that maybe he might not see, not because he's blind, not because he's stupid, he's really a very smart policeman, but because she sees it from a different angle. And I think that that's one of the hardest things for a cozy, mystery author to write. You're writing this character over and over again who is solving a crime every time, Number one, the reader has to suspend this belief, of course, that you'd have that many dead bodies in one town inside of five of years. Course. Besides that, you know, that this one person is the person that can solve that crime each time. So that conflict with the police is very important to me. And having her not be just a nosy nose, uh, but someone who really is paying attention to the detail and why it matters to her to solve it and why she wants to help the police. So those those things you know they're they're um, those are tough. Those are definitely uphill battles for all all mystery authors but all amateur sleuths.
1: Yeah, I mean the one thing too that's good which is kind of built into cozies with not like you I mean that was a really good point that you said you can't make the police look stupid but a lot Correct. of the times is that these you know the cozies are set in very very small towns so they're not used to this kind of crime. So it's okay for the police to be a little bit ignorant on how to do certain things and someone else kind of has maybe that fresh look and that fresh approach and they're able to kind of do it. And then you kind of start seeing, like in Murder, She Wrote, I think you kind of saw, let's just say like Amos Tupper, you kind of saw him grow a little bit more like he was around her so much that he kind of got a little bit smarter as he went along. But he wasn't used to murder and death when the series first started. It was something that was totally brand new.
3: Right. However, in this case, uh, because Napa Valley is a much bigger community than my other small communities that I've written about, the yeah. police department's bigger. And I, I talked with the police, uh, with the sheriffs up there, and they're loaned out from Napa Valley. They're loaned out to these little enclaves that are up and, and down Napa Valley. And um, so they're, they're quite intelligent. They know what's going on. They have a big force behind them if they really need a big force. But they work in small groups and um and that was fascinating to me so they have they have at their fingertips a lot of information but even he said the sheriff that i consulted he said you know we don't have that many murders you know it's Napa yeah. valley it's resort town it's like lake tahoe i i interviewed a sheriff one time for one of my suspense novels up in lake tahoe and he said the last murder was 13 years ago it's like yeah it's not like los angeles where you have one every day
1: Right, you know, so it's not like it's, crime scene investigators are able to hone their skills a lot.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, they're seeing things, but what did Mimi see that might have been something, just one more detail that maybe the police either didn't see or she just noticed it because she finally linked this with this with this with this. And I play fair with the audience, or I, I do my best to play fair with the audience, but that by the time, you know, you get to the end of the novel, you go, oh, I saw the clues. She did stack them up. You know yeah. and and, and they, may, they may even by the end, say, "I know who did it," but they aren't sure why.
1: And I right. love that sometimes,
3: reveal. That's, that's one of my favorite can, things yeah. is to really reveal the reason and, and have, you know, have Mimi figure out that reveal. It's not
1: It's not just a bad person
3: you know blathering on and saying, "Oh, this is why I did it." It's sure. Mimi saying you did it because of, and he goes, "Well, you you caught me." <laughs> so yeah. I like yeah. that. He or she. Yeah, I
1: mean that's it because I think it's I think fifty percent of the crime is. I, it's like especially when you're reading Agatha Christie, and I read many interviews with her. and One of the things that jumped out to me on one of her interviews was was that she said she always wrote the book from beginning to end, and she wrote the murder and she did everything else. Then she went back and figured out who did it.
2: Oh, that's and, interesting.
1: And so then she put in the clues, and she did like that. She goes, but she, she knew the player. She knew the crime. She did the crime. She, you know, they died. And then she went back and said, okay, who did it? And then that's how she kind of wrote her books. But, huh. and, yeah, and the thing that I always find interesting with that was, you know, the 50% of it is finding out the person. The other 50% is finding out the clues, how they did it, why they right. did it, and did you figure all that journey out, you know, along the way.
3: Right, and and I, I try, like I said, I work with an outline, so I try to get that all into my outline, but my mm-hmm. outline's more like a road map, so there yeah. are times that I'll get to the, you know, the end of the, I'll get to what I call the muddy middle. It's, it's, you know, chapter 10 to 20, and that is, oh, I need more in here. There have to be more clues. There have to be a few more red herrings, and so you start lacing that into the story because I know, you know, I got to the end of the story by writing my outline, but it didn't all hold together and swell and have enough tension and mm-hmm. and and clues. Clues are vital for a reader. They they actually have to follow along with Mimi to yes. figure out what happened. And um, you know, I hate figuring it out by page seventy. I love figuring it out with the 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 um, the, the amateur sleuth. So anyway, so like Agatha Christie, I do know what happened, but I do it by the end of my outline, not by writing. I can't imagine writing the whole book and then saying, oh, gee, I made a mistake here. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah <laughs> But I, I can that see was how she'd answer. do that she because
3: she's thinking like Poirot and you know, or, or um Miss Marple and they get to the very end and then they do see, you know, seat everybody in the room and they say, Well this happened and then this happened, this happened, but you did it because you went down to the beach and you went through the tunnel and you know, all those kinds of yeah, things. I one could see little thing. Her yeah, little mind working that way. Did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's always one little thing that you did different than everybody else, but did the did the reader catch that one Little different thing that they yeah. did because because then, then that's the fun part. But um, yeah, I, I mean Cozy's are just I mean they're just they just are they're just so much fun and I think that's why they've gained so much popularity right now. I mean they are exploding. People are reading them so much because it's it's a safe read. It's nothing that's going to be you're not going to hear people's political beliefs.
3: Well, you're not you know I think that I, that's a, that's a good point. You know it's really not. In this environment that we've got going on in the world right now, where there's an awful lot of angry, nasty, grunge, Hate. okay, it's nice to have what you call a, a sweet mystery, you know, a, yeah. um a gentle mystery is how I like to rephrase it. You know, yes, someone's going to die, but you know, someone's going to wind up in jail or you know get their comeuppance at the end. That feels great. That 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 resolution is great for a reader, and. And, yes, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of bad language on the page. There's not a lot of sex on the page. There's not a lot of sliminess on the page or, or, or um, a physical, you know, you're not going to read about blood, guts, and gore in a cozy usually. And I think that that gives people um, a, a comfort zone. They go to the book knowing that they're going to be entertained, but they don't have to get through the gruesome.
1: Right. I mean, that's the thing is that the cozies remove – the dark elements of a of of a, of a regular mystery or suspense, and, and you don't have to you don't have to worry about again hearing about people's political or peering about this or that and this and that and you're just and it kind of takes you away from the story of the book, I think, and, and that's why I love them. I just love them because and there's so much great standalone. I mean, you can kind of right. dive into series and just and it's just that, it's just that crime at that time, and that's what I love about them.
3: Well, and I think that's right, too, is, you know, when you get a series, you have this, um, this ability to, sorry, my phone was ringing there, um, you have this that's ability fine. to uh, start with a character and follow their life, you know, and, and like watching a TV show, you know, you're getting to know more and more about, you know, who they are, who they're involved with, who their friends are, what their love life might be. I mean, you're really becoming invested in them as, in them as a friend.
1: Now, the one thing also that you said, because you know, there's not a lot of – the, the, the readers have to kind of suspend disbelief, and they have to figure out, wow, this is the 15th murder in this poor smart town that hasn't had murders in quite some time. Do you ever envision maybe taking the series or, or taking her outside of, the, outside of Napa and something happening someplace else? You, do, you, do you think that that could happen?
3: Well, you know, it, it's sort of funny. Um, publishers don't really like that. They really do like a um, a cozy to stay in town, and I think again it's the familiarity. Familiarity. Oh God, it's just not coming out of my mouth. Familiar. Familiarity. It's, <laughs> it's just not coming out of my mouth today. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I think that they really readers come back to see the town and see the townspeople. Um, there, are, there are cozies that have for example um, Kate uh, Carlyle writes the Bibliophile Mysteries and the second one went to Scotland but then she came, the publisher said no please come back. You know, she brought four of her family over there so that at least she had family and four of the regulars over in Scotland but the next year in the next book um, it was back in town. Um, she took them up to the wine country at one point, it's set in San Francisco, And she took them up to Lake Tahoe at one point. So she's moved them around to a couple of different little venues, but all staying closer to home, certainly all having at least three or four of the characters, core characters, together. So, you know, I could talk to the publisher about it, but I do think that Napa is a draw. And I could certainly move in different areas of Napa. It, It would be an interesting you know, introduction to people of of how many varied areas there are up in Napa and Sonoma and Mendocino. Um, I don't know. You know, that will be a discussion that my my publisher and I will definitely have.
1: Yeah, because, I, did, yeah I mean, little
3: small town thing sometimes, is, is a, sometimes
1: they can move around. You know, yeah. they can move around different places.
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't read many that do.
1: No, um, and you know, and I'm just thinking I guess that would be more along the character being more transcendent, I guess, kind of like why it worked for murder she wrote is because Jessica Fletcher was so internationally known because being an author, so I guess it kind of worked and moving her around. And and you know, and, and I guess I can understand where, you know, why would Mimi have to go out, like what would be the point for having her leave? Is there some event maybe in San Francisco or like you said, something else and right. she was just visiting and yeah and, and I guess I could see that happening um, right but you know I guess it kind of keeps it fresh for you though I mean you still got to keep yourself fresh otherwise people will notice that on the page they'll kind of be like oh it kind of looks like Daryl's kind of given up you know I think I think people will notice if they if, you know it, they, they can see it in your writing You can I, it. I would
3: think I would think yes that they could see it in your writing if you're not excited about the story and you're not excited about the location yeah um, but uh, I, I do my best not to ever feel like I'm uh, tired with the story. You know, that's, that's again, that's, that's one of the challenges for an author is to make it fresh yeah. every time. And, um, you know, that's why some people don't like to work with an outline. They say, well, after you've written the outline, how can you write the book? Haven't you already read, written the book? And I mm-hmm. said, no, what comes fresh to me then is the dialogue and the description and the inner emotions. I said, the outline is just telling me story. But that doesn't take away any freshness for me. But that's just for me. I, I really need that outline to keep me on track. There are some people that can write by the seat of their pants, and they get it right the first time every time. I hate them. <laughs> I really hate those writers. I can't do that. I really need, I need structure. But I got that structure, too, because I wrote screenplays before I wrote mysteries. And that structure was vital to a screenplay. So, oh
1: yeah, you got to have the yeah, the structure is really important, and the screenplay writing much different, I think, than the novel writing.
3: Yeah, yeah, and so mm-hmm. that you know that's I sort of work with a, a screenplay kind of outline. That's that's how that's how thin and lean it is. It's just this happens and then this happens and it happens here at this time of day with this cast. I mean, I write it like a screenplay. It's got this cast, it's got this day, it's got it's a little outline, it's a table, and and then this is what happens, and these are the clues that I'm going to have. And this so is wanna, the alibi, and this is the suspect, and this is where the alibi is proven true. And, I, I mean, it's, it's that structured, but I then know where I'm going with the story, and I don't get lost. My mind can get very, very lost if I don't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, and before I get off, you know, because we're coming on the end, but I just want to kind of see, do you have any plans to write any other, uh, you know, suspense thriller books? Because those books are so great. Uh, do oh, you have thank any, you so any Do much. you have any plots? yeah well what is written, and
3: i'm i'm trying to uh, uh my agent um my agent isn't sure that he has any connections in the suspense market, and so uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and talk to other agents about just representing my suspense novels. We'll see. Um, but I have a third one already done, written, reviewed by my beta readers, and they love it. So I, and it's, again, a standalone um, set in San Francisco, and I'm very excited about it. It's called Accidental Murder. So uh, cross your fingers. Maybe I can get somebody to go ahead and publish it this coming year. Well, um that, that that's
1: the plan. You do know you do know we have a publishing company. So you can always come to us if you have any questions.
3: We will talk.
1: You never know. You know, we do have a publishing company. You know, we have um a lot of great authors that you know, we put out that hey, Paul Kempercoast, number 1 New York Times bestseller, one of our authors. So How
3: cool. No, yeah. I didn't know. But, yeah, you
1: know, I just yeah, because you know, it's almost like sometimes for, you know, you're writing a cozy and you're so much in that world that writing something outside of it is almost like a cleansing. It's like Well, it is, <laughs> it's and, like and I, you know, can I started this as a thriller out. writer,
3: and, yep. uh, but my, I, I had agent after agent say, gee, I really like this, but I don't know what to do with this. I really like this, but I can't sell this. I really like your voice. I like your writing. I can see you have talent, but I can't sell this, and I finally got an agent who said, have you ever considered writing cozies? And my girlfriend was writing cozies at the time. In fact, everybody in my critique group was, was, three of the the five were writing cozies. And I said, Well, I guess I could try my hand at it. So I tried my hand at a couple, you know, a couple chapters here, a couple chapters there. And she said, I like the voice, I can't sell this one. like the voice, can't sell this one. I mean, it was like a recording, and a broken recording. And then I, she said, Have you ever considered writing about cheese? <laughs> I said, I. <laughs> And that's like, when she brought the tea shop to me and I wrote a few like chapters a based on what the the um publisher had wanted and yeah. they bought it up in about three weeks. So obviously I had a knack for writing cozy mysteries and food, um, and that was great, but I did start as a thriller writer and um that's what I wrote as a, in screenplays who so were thrillers and so it's it's where my roots are. I love reading thrillers. I love reading cozies. I read you know both genres, and so it, yeah, it's a cleansing, brand new set of characters. Only if they're all standalone, so you're just going to write them once, and a whole new environment. That's where I get to travel. You know, I set one in Lake Tahoe. I set one in the Bay Area. It's you know, it's fun.
1: Well, you know, I'm waiting for because first of all, on cable TV, we only have you know 70,000 TV stations. And the Hallmark Mysteries channel is pretty good about these types of books and putting these types of stories on. But I'm waiting for the cozy mystery channel because there's so many great storylines we can have TV shows and movies and things like that. That it's like, where is this? Because you know, last the just last week alone, I'm sitting there watching one of my favorite movies, Murder by Death, which it makes fun of mystery writers. Oh. And if you you know, have you ever seen that show? Have you ever seen that movie? Oh. No, No. Murder by Death, you've never seen it with Truman Capote and Peter Falk and David no. Niven and Maggie Smith. Oh, my God. You've got to go now and you've got to watch it because it I, was I'm writing it down. Like, it's a Neil Simon play, and what it is is that the host brings the five greatest detectives to his house because he's so pissed. That he's like, you write characters in the book that were never in there. You freaking put clues in there that no one could ever solve, and I'm tired of it. And so I'm going to do a mystery where I'm going to show the world that you guys are not the smartest. And it's hilarious. It's like, That
3: sounds wonderful. In it,
1: except it's a different name. Charlie Ch- Peter Sellers is in it. as like um, Charlie Chan, but he's not Charlie Chan. It's, they just changed the name. Right. Uh, Peter Falk is a San Francisco. His name is Sam Diamond, and he's like a, the San Francisco cop. Um yeah, Eileen <laughs> Brennan is in it.
3: I you mean, obviously you've gotta, love this movie.
1: Oh, my God, it's hilarious. But the funny thing is, is that with Truman Capote, when he says his character, he sits there and he goes, and he does, just like what you said, readers, no clues. He goes, you, he's mad at all of them because they all screw their readers in one way or another, and he's sick of it. And that's yeah. the whole funny thing of the book. So, yeah. Um, but I think that, I think that, I would love to see a cozy channel, and I would love to see – because there's so many great stories, and, and I love that you guys write these things. Well, you know, Hallmark so is happy. doing
3: a number of cozies.
1: They do. Um, Hallmark huh? History does a lot of great stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, but the is they've is got, they do have got, many got a, movies. A, one
3: by Kate Carlisle on there, and then they've got the uh, yeah. uh, the Hannah Swenson um, uh, cookie mysteries on there. But so there are a number is, of them there.
1: It's too many movies, so i got to wait – I see the hand, you know. I see the cookie mystery, and I'm like, oh great, I gotta wait another nine months for another one, or the garage sale mystery. I'm like, yeah. where's the series? I want some oh, more series. Oh, you want a series so I
3: can... a series? Yeah, well, but...
1: I want to see some TV series.
3: Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, but well, that would be interesting. Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, a couple of years ago, they tried to bring back Murder She Wrote, and then they stopped it, and then they weren't going to do it again. So, you know, I just miss, I miss those. I loved, you know, Law & Order when Law & Order was every show was a case and you didn't have all that underlining crap. Now it's like watching Special Victims Unit. You, know, you can't just go in and watch it because you have all these other underlining themes. Yeah. And, you know, Murder, She Wrote, I could watch Season 8, Episode 14 the same way I could watch Season 2, Episode 10, and I don't need to watch anything else. I just watched that case at that time. And right. That's what really you want to be getting middle
3: and end, like Heart to Heart and Matlock, all yep. of those shows. Yep. Love
1: it. Don't need any. Don't need to know any of the other bull crap that goes on. Don't. Don't care about <laughs> it. I don't care about it. I don't care about any. I don't care about your your family. I'm sorry about it, but I don't care. I want to know about the case. That's you want what the case me. and
3: just the case, just the Done. facts, ma'am. Got it.
1: That's it. Just the facts, Kojak. So, well, there. I. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute thrill, of course, to always talk with you and love to see that this French Bistro series is coming. So you've got to make sure that they're sending it to us because we didn't get this one. Um, you didn't? To review. No, but that's okay. I huh. mean, sometimes they forget us. Well, uh, but that's, we loved, that's of course, an oversight because I saw
3: you on their list, so I will make sure that you get your copy or me, if you I send what? it okay. to you myself, Okay.
1: Maybe we did, and Shannon already sent it out, and I didn't have a chance to see it. So maybe I'm misspeaking, but I have well, to I'll, say. Well, check with but, her. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but I tell you what, I can't wait to see what you got coming on in the future. So so happy that your you know, the cheese shop is over, but the French Bistro has now opened for business. So thank yeah. you so much thank for, you. for doing this.
3: Thank you. This was a delight, okay? Give my love yes. to Shannon.
1: Will do. Have a good one, Dale. Enjoy.
3: All right. Okay.
1: Bye-bye. bye Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Daryl Wood Gerber. Make sure you go to DarylWoodGerber.com for more information on this new French Bistro mystery series called A Deadly Eclair. Book one is available now. Of course, you can always go back and check out the Cheese Shop Mysteries, the Cookbook Nook Mysteries, everything that Daryl's going on. And, again... Don't forget her suspense thriller series, which is what she started out writing. It's a, such a fabulous work. Daryl is just an outstanding author. Anything she could write, she could write the phone book, and you know it would it would be intriguing that you'd want to read. Um, it seems that our last guest here is not. I, I think I got an email. It's, a, it's a, something is it's not going to happen. So we're going to just cut the show short here, and we're going to say thank you everyone for a fabulous 2017 season. We want to thank you all for being a part of Suspense Magazine and Suspense Radio. Uh, We will be back in 2018 with brand new shows, everything brand new lineups, the whole nine yards. We got Inside Thrill Radio, we got The Story Blender, we got Beyond the Cover, you got Inside Edition, you got something for everyone, whatever you want to read. We have some great authors. Tuesday on Beyond the Cover, we're having Dean Koontz live on the air, so you're not going to want to miss that one. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Email us, editor at suspensemagazine.com with any questions that you have if you're not getting the magazine. And we want to thank you all uh, so much for, uh, again, for being with us. Our Best of Issue will be out December 15th. Who's the Crimson Scribe Award War winner? If you follow their Twitter account, they probably put it out there. But if you don't, you're going to have to read the magazine. And again, i got to tell you, we got some great books coming up. So until next time, everybody, I want to say thank you so much. Goodbye, enjoy, happy 2017, see you in 2018.